Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson, podcast mic here at the top of this week's episode to introduce our guest, Ashling B. Ashling is an Irish comedian, actress and writer, perhaps best known for her comedy drama series This Way Up, which she wrote and produced. It is currently available in Australia on Stan, if you would like to check it out. And this episode of the podcast uh, starts off a little differently because... Just after beginning the conversation with Will, Ashling got an important knock on the door from a postage person delivering a parcel for her, uh, which led into an extended discussion about uh, the post. So we've left it all in. It is very entertaining. And after that, you'll find that Ashling and Will have quite a long and thoughtful conversation about comedy, life, and philosophy. If you like this episode, you might like another Irish comedian who's been on the podcast, Dara O'Brien. Scroll up in your feed. There are many, many other episodes of Willosophy to check out. If you want to support us, patreon.com slash Willosophy for as little as a dollar a month. You get these episodes a day early on a Sunday morning as well as ad-free. No ads on the podcast if you are a Patreon supporter. Or go to tofop.com to check out all of our other podcasts. And of course, Instagram.com slash WillosophyPod to see all the fantastic artwork by James Fosdyke. But for now, I'll pass it over to Will and Ashling B for this episode of Willosophy. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the show starts. I forgot to warn my guests about this, but it's self-explanatory. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you? I am I am Ashling B, I think. I think I am. I think I am. Who knows who anyone is really, Will, you know. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I am Ashling B. Uh, 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 actor, writer, comedian, good friend, um, lover. That's me, Ashling B. Okay, that was pretty good, though. That's a pretty good list in that order of your professions that you listed because I'm always interested when people... Could we come back to that question one second? Sorry to stop this record and be such a mess, but there's a man at my door who needs to collect a box and he was supposed to come yesterday and we said no way to podcast, but I said maybe Will might be kind enough to let... I'll bring it down to my door. You can come with me. Okay, Um, let's see how this This would be a really good way of me getting out of the question uh, of all of those professions. Which one do you identify with more or like more? Uh, Just in case that's where it's going. Um, that would be me. Oh, there's a, there's a I'm going to Oh, yeah, I've already paid for it online, though. Um, uh, maybe I've got the reference. Oh, my God, Will, I'm so you know, sorry about just, this. You just do that. and I'm going to do it, again. but it's been weeks of... Um, is it from UPS? Yeah. yeah, I've paid for all the customs on already. It was like 6043. The code that they sent you into the dialogue, why can't release it? They didn't send me any code. They didn't send me any code. We won't be able to release it till we get the code. It won't be out on the machine. Oh, God, the code. God, I don't know the code. Like, oh, I've been waiting for weeks. I've, I've rang them up. I've paid for it. I know, but I won't, I won't be able to deliver it on this. Like, Are you around for a little bit? I'm for the whole day. Okay, so maybe you could come back. They'll text us. So text them and we get texts on it. Text so, them? Um, email them and they'll text us on our diet. diet. Okie dokes, okay. Sorry? Send the driver the code. Okay, thank you very much. Oh, Will. 
Oh, well, this situation between them and the phone calls and the texts and the company just trying to get a pair of pajamas delivered has been going on for now a month and a half. And every day there's a new bit of story about whose fault it is. And every day there's a new fee to pay. Just like life, really, trying to get this package delivered, just trying to get to the end of the journey, you know? How do you do with this new modern world we're living in where things are being delivered all the time and you're ordering stuff online? Is that something that you have embraced or is that something that you will be very keen to be done with when all this business is done? Well, n- no, I, I, think, I think I've embraced it in a way. I'm kind of against mass consumerism, which is a funny thing to say as I'm like talking to the UBS guys to come back in their giant truck drive backwards within their diesel round to my house again you know what I mean um and having flown a parcel I think from Denmark in the first place but um I am always and maybe it makes me a little bit happy about humanity that when the kind of the computer says no humans do like think that computers are our overlord and like say that man there couldn't have gone have you paid oh could you show me the receipt or something and i trust you like this package says you it's your address i trust you you don't look like you're trying to scheme me so i don't want to leave the package here you can call up we don't have to do a second journey i'm not going to lose my job over this package nothing schemey is happening here but instead we're like the overlords tell us no this isn't going to happen and humans are sort of mad like that like we're just sort of you know, I'm there looking at you. You're looking at me. You have my package. I want the package. I've paid for the package. I thought the package was going to be with me now, but still something between us is the robots. So, And technically, it's more work for that guy to bring back the package. Oh, right? massive more work. I know he won't be anywhere near here for the rest of the day and he'll have to come right back around. Yeah, really so will get involved in his If day. he was left to make his own de- decisions in this circumstance... Yeah. He would yeah. just give you the package. But he Absolutely. is such a slave to the computer, to the algorithm, to the system. To the system. And also, I know that then from my point of view, I get frustrated because I can't get my new pajamas. But for him, if he doesn't put the code in, he could lose his job or be liable for the amount. Totally right. fair. He doesn't know that there's not a Givenchy dress worth two grand in the package that he'll have to pay for if I'm secretly a trickster and a schemer. But it does... And I also am fascinated by really simple transactions, like buying a pair of pajamas from Denmark, which is a mad thing I shouldn't have done in the first place. I didn't really realize they were going to be based in Denmark. Um, uh, ironically, from an eco brand from Denmark, <laughs> and to make sure like I was doing less damage to the environment. So to order them over across the sea in the diesel boat and the diesel engine to be delivered a couple of times trying a couple of times that man's turned up god knows how many times and um and that that still is like as if it's the first time ever you know when like people are buying a house for the first time and all these delays everyone gets delays and you're like but people buy houses all the time why is that not a why do we not know like the you know the systems like like what happens I do understand what you mean, but there are there's middle management built into all these systems. Mm. That's where people have jobs, you know. You think it's people's jobs to feck things up, so people st- keep a job to fix things. You know that well, there's someone's absolutely. job is to mess, so someone else can clean. Yeah, and I mean, mm. I think you know you see it systematically, and like, I mean, I don't know what it's like over there, but in Australia, um, at the moment, there's a lot of people who are relying on social security, right? Yeah, like, yeah. 
But to sign up to Social Security, the computer system they put you through, the like how often it goes down if there's a problem to get to talk to somebody might be like hours of your day. Yeah. The entire system is set up to have people give up on it. Like yeah. you cannot convince me that that is not built into that system. They could do it more efficiently. But also that is the that is what seems to be the politics of the day and it sort of works that if people are tired enough, like empathy fatigue, any sort of fatigue, you do sort of start to, human beings do behave very, like you can predict human beings very easily. And even um, I was watching it and I felt quite bad watching it, but there's a thing on Netflix called like how to become a tyrant. And I wanted to watch it historically, but then I also feel like if that's in my algorithms, is that looking like I'm a psychopath? Like, ah, how to become a tyrant? Finally, a to-do. Another YouTube tutorial I can follow along to. Um, but one of the things they were saying was like, if we think we are any different to the people who voted in, say, the Nazis or, or, or whoever it is, if we think we're different because we can see stuff from that point of view now, rather than the things that they made people fear the kind of like climate of fear around mm. uh, whether it was Jewish people or immigrants or losing Germany, losing its power or whatever it was. We are the exact same that people do that with immigrants all the time, um, no matter what their situation is. And it did, you know, the same principles that make human beings fear and react and, and curl into themselves in their own communities or families or, or selves are the exact same principles that would work now just like in different settings with you know more i suppose music around uh more you know Katy perry music I suppose. so this time that the world has just gone through because mm -hmm. i mean i know that i had lived in a lifetime where there wasn't really a big thing like i mean there was things that threatened to be big yes. things. like 9 11 felt like it was a big thing but now that's kind of been put in a little context mm. even for what that was right like, and it had a little effect around the world, but only so much. And you're like, what? I can't bring my 700 litre shampoo through with me? <laughs> no, that's the one thing I love about holidays is getting from my old shampoo to a new place. Um, but other than that, like things didn't massively change globally, I suppose. It wasn't like a big we thing. We thought they did, I think. I think at the time we were like, look at this. Look at, look at the sacrifice yeah. that we have to make on behalf of this thing. Whereas... As a globe, we've had to make a much bigger sacrifice on behalf of this thing. So how, what, where do you feel about where we are as humans right now? Like, is this like a, is this going to be a good patch? Is this like a, are you worried? Like, what do you I'm think? I'm worried. When you look I think, world? I think there'll be, there'll be doctors in maybe a couple of years who will be able to see the mental health side effects on things like children. I think we can comprehend in our feelings what's happened now. It's kind of like a low drip, drip, drip trauma. Like if you've had nothing happen to you, um, dramatic, you feel ungrateful. Like if you still have your job and you haven't had to sign on or you haven't lost anyone to COVID, you feel this gratitude for an awful time. Like you're supposed to have, I'm really grateful for this terrible time. And I do think it's been a collective trauma and, we won't work out what that will have done to people's heads. And I think changed us fundamentally in the, the way our neurological brains make up for another kind of 20, 30 years when we see what the kids come out of this like. You know, when we talk about our grandparents and I go, well, they made society or politics like that because they were kids during the war. 
So they grew up in fear and loss and loss around food and the stakes were so high and, and the comprehension that I'll be interested to see what the kids of now end up like, that during their formative years, they were looking at screens. They didn't go into schools. They had no daily routine. They sat in their kitchens if they even had kitchens or laptops to sit on. Some kids completely didn't have access to education because it was like one phone in the house and that was like people's tech. So I think for us as like Will and Ashling. I think for me, I think there was a point at which everyone could cope to it, with it until about last September and, you know, when it was ending. And then they were like, no, no, there's another seven Fast and the Furious movies. You're like, no, please, no, we only needed the amount we had. And then I think that's kicked everybody below coping mechanisms, yet still coping below joy levels, yet still aspiring towards joy. But when they see it, not totally being able to absorb it. I find that I find myself in like the situations I would have said when lockdown's in, I can't be, I am dying to do meeting friends, going to a pub, getting drunk. And then I'm in those scenarios and I feel like an alien in a movie watching a flashback. And I think a lot of people are feeling like that. I have a bit of stand up about how when you haven't seen someone you love for a year and they're like, how are you? And you're like, too big, question too big, ask me something smaller. And you end up going, I got a new pot. Do you want to see the new pot I have? It's yellow. Like you can only just concentrate on the smaller things because how are you is too big. Right. It's hard to go, well, I'm a completely different person to the person you used to know. And I imagine you also are because everything that I believe to be true and got used to actually isn't true and I can't get used to. So now with our new uh, alien insides, but human bodies, which we remember, should we try and create a friendship again? (laughs) And so that and and you don't know the way it's going to matter. It doesn't manifest in the same way in all all the people. So that's. I think that's been interesting. I went to a, um, I was working late uh, doing like a, a comedy show until about 11 the other night. And then I went oh, to meet my friends in a bar and it was their rap party for their show. And they, it was the first time I'd been in a, a packed bar with no masks or no sitting down or social distancing in probably since like last summer. And I got there so late that everyone was really used to it. People had gotten over. There was only one other kind of sober person who was like, oh, oh. <laughs> and, and, you know, the numbers aren't exactly decreasing here. So it was kind of scary from a COVID point of view. But I was it, it was probably more triggering for me than some bad news because I was suddenly aware of what I'd lost. And it was almost like meeting your ex that you've, that you didn't appreciate and you were like, yes, we should be broken up. And then you go to a bar and you see them laughing and you see all the things you love about them. And when you're just sort of heartbroken for all the time you've wasted um, and you want to run in the street and go, let's give it another go. Um, so, yeah, so I, I find that kind of weird because normally you you might be aware of what things might set you off. But I've been quite struck by the things that panic me or throw me. And the things that didn't or don't, you know, I was, I never washed my cereal boxes, for example. I knew COVID was not going to make it onto cereal boxes. <laughs> How did I know? It was just a gut instinct. And then science finally, a year and a half later, was like, <laughs> COVID is not on cereal boxes. You know, it's not on gates. It's not on doors. It's in the air. We always knew it. And I was like, oh, grant. It never scared me. But then other things would scare me, like the Bye. aloneness. 
Um, what scared me about the pandemic? Uh, when I was making my show, my second series, I was scared every single this, day. This way up. On yeah, Stan so, in Australia. On Stan um, in Australia. Yeah, um, and it, it's and, like amazing. I know that you didn't bring it up oh, for the compliment, but here it is anyway. It's such. Ah, I didn't bring it up not for the compliment, Will. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't going to throw it out there hoping you'll go, <laughs> oh, a full TV series you wrote on your own during the pandemic. <laughs> Nothing to say there. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's such a, like, it's, it's hard to talk about the show without, like, spoiling the charm of the show. Like I, I, it's one of, sometimes with telling people about shows, you know, the best thing that I can do is go, just go and watch it. Like don't, just go and watch you it, don't guys. need me to tell you what it's about or like, because that'll give you some, go, go without expectations and just go and have a look and you'll like it. There's my recommendation. It's about but, uh, an alien war. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you're into, if you're into sci-fi, definitely give it a watch guys. Give it a watch. <laughs> it's not sci-fi. Um, but yeah, but I, I, you were saying, that, sorry. Yeah. That, um, I think my mother lives in the countryside in Ireland and was fairly safe and also used to being on her own. So I didn't have this crippling feeling. She's great neighbors. I didn't have this crippling like worry that she was alone and we couldn't get to see her. My sister lives up the road with her husband and she was working during the pandemic. She's a costume designer and she was working, but mostly working from home. And then I was on my own for a lot of the pandemic and it meant that the stakes were very personal. So I didn't have a relative, you know, who was shielding or anything like that. And then that was for like a lot of most of last year and then suddenly exec producing my show where I had a crew of 70 80 people in a show that I'd written and was in when the numbers were escalating Britain had got into its third lockdown and we were trying to film and the 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 budget couldn't allow everyone to be tested all the time. I mean, testing now is like cheap and you can just add, ask it for free. But even then, we, like vaccines were were a, like foreign word. Like we didn't totally know that that was ever coming. And that was my experience of like a massive responsible fear. Um, and I don't think I've yet to totally get over the daily fear that someone on my watch could get sick or could get sick at work because something did, happened that might have just been in the air or might have been me taking off my mask and running around in a scene or, and that the weight of that and the weight of knowing that people were not seeing their family or friends and, and probably weren't as mentally well as they could have been. And I can only imagine what that must be like for like actual nurses or doctors or teachers where that, that responsibility, the weight of that responsibility is daily or anyone in charge of any workforce, you know, it is quite a lot. You know what, though, like, can I just quickly, because it occurred to me this week, I was in makeup for a, a television show this week. And of course, when you're in makeup, like, you have to take off your mask. Like, they're going to put makeup on your face, right? And so, this is some person who decides to go to work every day and trust that all the people they're going to do makeup for are doing the right thing. And I think that is a big responsibility. Or at least, if you're a nice human, you hopefully think about that when mm. it comes to other people and then conduct yourself in a way that is yeah, responsible yeah. to them. I, I, mean, what, I mean, the numbers in Australia, it's quite funny. Every time I hear about Australia going into lockdown because they found one person, I'm like, we didn't, here we yeah. didn't even go into lockdown <laughs> yeah. when like yeah. Boris Johnson, the prime minister had COVID. Never mind, you know, like everyone was still running around. So yeah, it's it's just, I, I mean, I'm a, 
I think Australia maybe has done a more, it, it feels it feels a bit more collective in Australia and New Zealand than here. I think maybe it's off the back of Brexit and the division there anyways, but definitely lockdown has become a divisive, definitely something divisive over here. Oh, it's, it's fraying at the edges here. Yeah, of course it is because people are fraying at the edges and in terms of philosophy, you go, you go, right, okay, I get this, but what is a life? Mm-hmm. And, and Well, I think it's what you were saying you know, before about the fact that we had a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. One of the things they do with torture is that you've got to offer these people some sort of yeah. hope because it's yeah. the hope that they are working with when they're trying to torture somebody, it's right? The hope that like kills if you've you. got nothing, right? Yeah. And that's, I think we all got our hopes up a little. <laughs> like yeah. Even from what you said, not knowing if there was going to be a vaccine, then there being like 20 vaccines and we got our choice of which one was yeah. the right one. And then to all that quite point, quickly we as like, well. Oh, oh, no, it's actually not going to fix everything. Everything's yeah. not just immediately going back to normal. I, I think as well what we all have to give ourselves credit for at the end of this is that if you're feeling rotten, of course you might want to blame it on your partner or your family or work or I hate this or I hate that. And I think we want the exterior stuff to be the reason that you're feeling rotten, whereas actually... I think because it might feel like disrespectful to anyone who's had a very traumatic pandemic, but that this has been a global trauma and people are like, well, you can't compare it to the war. And you're like, no, you can't compare it to the war because the war people were always dealing with life and death. And of course the war, the war, the war, war is awful. And, but it's also human. People have been fighting in wars with people and killing each other for most of humanity People have not been separated from each other in and completely. And but also the people who the people who died in wars, like are still mm. to their family who lost their father or their grandfather yes. or whatever, were people who yeah. left trauma on their lives. And you're allowed to yeah. have that trauma. But because we're all going through it at the same time, I think about this a lot. When my friends do that thing, and I've done it myself, which is to be natural going, yeah. you know, by world standards, my mm. my experience of this has been very comfortable. But to suggest it hasn't been without so many sacrifices and associated traumas and effect on people and all these sort of things is, it's ridiculous, I think, for us to not acknowledge what we've been through ourselves as well, right? But, you know, I, I think... Um not to bring this us back to my work, stand. but my, and sorry, spoiler guys, but I, yeah, I tried to make, um, this way up on stand, also on Channel 4 in demand and Hulu in America. Um, I tried to make back in the day, pre-COVID, just when there was like SARS 18 and we didn't care. Um, I tried to make a show, a comedy about loneliness. And a lot of my research was about like, how what physically that does to humans just not feeling connected not having a purpose and not being physically around enough people and the biological and neurological effects that has and so it's almost like um when you see like puppies left out in the rain or not touched or the same way children need to be touched and talked to in their young like very early years because the sound of a voice and being talked to and having to repeat literally forms your brain and touch and being stroked helps soothe your brain so we need to be touched and talked to and not like what you and I are doing now you and I need to see each other's eyeballs in real life to properly be able to assess how we feel and get something physical out of this chat more than just sort of like a little light bulb in our brains, but to physically get something out of this chat, like we would have, if we were able to sit in a studio together is 
what it is to be human. So even to do this lovely recording of a podcast, we have ripped out a whole opportunity for us to feel nice after it. And I think and that's the meat of us needs that. And that's neurological and biological. It's not just some fancy fairy idea. And I think that's what I really felt everyone missing because what what happens after that is you become a little bit more physically despondent a bit more mentally despondent apathetic towards causes like what will wake you up then um when you're barely sleeping anyways um so yeah i'm sorry if that sounds very depressing but i I found that you know a depressing podcast (laughs) no i mean this is i i this is all i ever I all I ever want to talk about is stuff like this, but like normally I need to, you know, jazz it up on a gag you, you or know. something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. If you right, had to be right. a pony, Ashling, what type of pony would you be? Ooh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe a Falabella Argentinian pony. They're tiny but horse being cute. Uh, what's your own relationship with loneliness? Like, how big a deal is it in your life? I think it was the, um the thing that made me write the show I think it's something I've I've like with my mother I think you can be alone but not lonely and I think that must be such a blessing of a gift because I think a lot of people know that you can be lonely in a marriage in a relationship in a crowd and it's definitely one of the things that has haunted me over the years like a sort of knowing I have lots of love in my life but sometimes like this little egg-shaped feeling just above my heart and that's like oh you you're alone not you're alone you're lonely and I think maybe um my dad died when I was a kid and I feel like that egg was maybe that shape left there sort of thing so that's sometimes how I feel about it without being a total um early morning crybaby um so yeah I think that that definitely follows me around um, and I've definitely looked for lots of situations and moments to sort of go, oh, is it gone now? And sometimes it disappears, but that's definitely, yeah. So it's not it's not being alone. It's being, I think it's like being connected to myself sometimes, like having a connection with yourself or something. How much do you think, like, I mean, I know that sounds like a weak question, but... I, I think how much do I think how much do you think like I mean are you always thinking is it like oh yeah. always non-stop wake up in the middle of the night yeah my brain is like like I'm talking quite slow now because I didn't sleep much last night and I'm tired but I speak normally at such a fast rate and my mouth just about catches up to my head but I think all day long every day about everything non-stop like there's no time sometimes I remember one time I had my period and I was really bad cramps and I also had a cold mm-hmm. and I've never felt more relaxed even though I felt really sick and awful because it was it was so physical everything that was going on that I couldn't think and I was like oh man maybe this is how like most people get through the day just like 
there's a door open the door oh my god i'm gonna open the door god i must get a new door oh my god Ashley, you think of my doors doors and windows doors to the soul doors to everything like god really people should be more let in should we let people in or should we let people out this is this door or is it really a wall a wall keeping people away open the door hi um is that the ups parcel yeah yeah sorry guys oh my god i wonder is he having a bad day i hope he's not having a bad day and like this is going to affect his whole life i didn't want to be mean to him but i also wanted my package like you know it's something like ordered and i really need it but anyway, so go up and i'm on a podcast with will anderson anyway so i'll just go that and do that now um so yeah, my brain runs at like nonstop. So, okay. Do you do anything about that? Is there like, you know, do you have things that can take your mind off thinking? Well, I think everyone's got their therapy. I, like, I mean, literally the amount of time people have said meditation to me, I've been like, boring. <laughs> um, and I think for my type of friend, like, have you tried mindfulness? Boring, 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 boring. No, I'm trying to get rid of my thoughts, not sit with them in the hope that they'll slow down. It's like, well, at some point you have to look at your age and the year you were born and going, it hasn't happened so why would they just start to slow down now? So what I find more is that my um, my slowing down comes with like cleaning, cleaning the house, gardening. Sometimes I do mess up the house to clean it, like I'm my own middleman. I do kind of like knock something over and go, oh, well, future me when she's stressed will come and hoover that up. Um, and pottering. Um, you guys don't really say pottering probably over in Australia. And it turns out no one in England does either. Um, because I've been saying it for ages and then finally someone said, what do you mean? Pottering is like pottering about, just like putting things in different places, cleaning that, putting a thing there, just little things in the house. Pottering, Harry Pottering. I say, I, I say pottering about. Do you say pottering about? I absolutely do. This might not be a, like a great survey. Don't assume that everybody in Australia says it just because I say it, but I do say pottering about. Well, for me, as far as I know, you're the president of Australia. Like I see you there in Australia and that's, you know, all the information I have so far. So yeah, pottering. Well, based on that, you know, mini survey, let's roll with that then. That's enough evidence in this day and age. This is a question um, separate. Mm-hmm. So I guess, well, n- not not separate to what we were just talking about, continued on from, but just phrased it a different Please. way, I guess. But um, how do you pass your time? Like, and was that affected by, I asked this from my own perspective, I guess, which is I realized the other day that I don't like watching television as much when I'm like, cause I'm in lockdown by myself at the moment. And um I don't like watching television when it's not getting in the way of something that I should be doing now that I just have all this time. I am the exact same. I've never sat down and watched TV. I watch most television shows, no matter what they are, even if they're visual, like a radio play. I bring my laptop around with me. I have it on in the background when I'm trying to do dishes or write something. I like catch it in the corner. I like put on a laptop if I'm getting dressed. But for me to sit down and watch it, I'm like, <laughs> What? Just on his own? You're bloody mad. Not even eating or doing a thing. Um, so yeah, past time, I feel like I feel like I'm always headed off somewhere, even if it's in my house. Like there's always a basket of items to be delivered to their pre- cupboards. You know, like there's always activities to do. And I do like I do work all the time. And I think because of my brain and ideas, the the one thing I've learned, so the last episode of This Way Up aired last night and it felt sort of like a big burden had been taking off my back. Um, because, you know, even that comes with that, the publicity and the promotion and doing Instagrams and da 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 and replying to people who are, get affected by the show and all that kind of stuff. And 
it's almost like I don't totally know what to do with myself. There's a million projects, but I know it's mad to, to start into anything a bit burnt out with with um, without some active rest time. But I think I don't really know how to go on a holiday. Like, I don't know what you do. And, and maybe it comes from a job being slightly vocational, like when you want to perform or write for a living it's you give everything to it like I put my whole soul into my show and it's the same with stand-up like when I don't have a good gig it affects me for the rest of the day and I'm heartbroken um and so it does fill your time even when you're not doing it and I think that's probably most artists that there's no version of nine to five or at the weekends I don't do this and there has like we have to start putting up more boundaries around it and that's why I think the next thing I do, I'd like to collaborate with someone or do it with someone. So at least when they're like, oh, it's six, I've got to go into my kid. I can't be like, fuck your kid. You know, we'll we'll ride it right into the night. Um, so that there'd be some full stop that would force you to to stop. Outsource boundaries. Yeah. Like, like I'm not surprised you have a podcast because you probably can't like stop, you know. So you're like, yeah, I'll start a podcast. You didn't need to do a podcast. You're very successful in your own right. But like you are because you're like, well, what if I had an hour, on, you know, on Thursday? Oh, God, I better talk to someone professionally and then turn it into content and put it out into the world and like plan like questions. And you're like, oh, now it's nighttime. I better go to sleep. I barely have any time to sleep. I'll wake up and plan the next podcast. You know, but it's the, the drive to create. Um, I, I think I think when you're a freelancer as well, the constant need to create just in case. Uh, some creation gets lost or missed or or cancelled. So, what's the what is the point of the creation? Like, wh- why is it important to create things? God, as in important generally for people, or I'm just talking to you. So, well, I don't know. You've also got a microphone there, so I've, I have a <laughs> feeling like this might be recorded. Will yeah, cheeky man. I'm just talking to you, Ashley. So of course I'm in you. All right, Will, no need to be sassy. Still early in the morning here in London. Um, uh, what is, what, what's the need to create? Like, Yeah, for you, I, what I was asking was, like, wh- where does that need come from for you? Like, I mean, part of it is it's your job, right? Like, so, like, I mean, it's the way you pay your bills and... Yes, and I, I will say when it's, I think I felt a lot freer when it wasn't my successful job without a doubt. And the one thing I'm going to try and get back is to create something, whether it's a new show or a stage or the group of people I work with, where every day feels a lot more like childish play. And of course you have to like do contracts and money and all the other things and, you know, set up film production companies and all those sorts of things. But I'd love, there's a reason we didn't become accountants. No offense to the uh, playful accountants who are having a great time today. But there's a reason we didn't choose to do something more secure. And that's for this. Not it's not for fame and success. Sure, they're nice. So is the cash. Don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, love rolling around my bed in it. Um, but the the childish, playful state that you have to stay in that fills your soul and makes you so happy. And it is a drug. It's absolutely a drug. But if there was a way of like healthily achieving that more rather than. I, I remember in Amy Poehler's book, she had a bit about like your career versus your creativity. And it was just a lovely, a lovely way of dividing it up because I was quite sad one year. And it was a year where I was like making lots of money and doing lots of kind of panel shows and stuff like that. And I felt my career was going very well, but it didn't feel like my creativity was going very well. 
my creativity is for me it's for Ashling, and then they pay Ashling to come on to those career shows and I felt like they were just career paying a career Ashling to stand in and I would know oh I don't have to do something there because edit that out and I want to feel I want to feel bouncy and enjoying like I'm creating um and so that really sat with me that to like where are you creative and I know where I am creative so my next step now of my like journey of discovery of how to maybe have a happier life and um, not to be happy all the time that's fucking mad no one can do that um but to have a better quality and balance would be to find a job that feels really creative, whether it's an improv or a group of actors or a set up a show. Like I watched all of the White Lotus, which I don't think has come out in Australia yet. I secretly got it on an illegal VPN. No, I think it's um it's on Amazon. Oh, is it out in Australia? Maybe. Amazon. Anyway, it's on it's on one of the streaming services. Like everybody, everyone knows it, every, all of them. Yeah, everyone. And if not, like get it illegally like me. Wink, wink. Um, and The White Lotus is just something that was released recently. Six part series for HBO and each episode is an hour. But I haven't really seen a drama uh, performed by all comedy actors in a long time like one that right. you follow a plot normally those ones you follow the comedy but actually we're following the drama and the plot of people who always choose which is what I kind of choose to act like even in my dramatic work is to find out where the character is funny like where's their funny quirk right. and this is just a whole ensemble and everyone's a lead in their own way and that is my dream job and dream creative thing because I can imagine that they were all able to bounce each other and give each other something. And of course there'd be the lines, but then there'd be a bit of improv around and what each actor would bring to the part. And it's just such an incredible cast. And for me, I'm like, oh, it is achievable to make that sort of environment that could be collaborative. And every day you go to work and you come home energized, even if you've had a long day, rather than jaded. And it can be so hard when those jaded jobs kind of pay you a certain amount of money. People come up in the street and go, I love that show. And you're like, oh, yes, great. Thank you. But you you know you've given up something, which is the reason you create. And it's a childish playfulness. And my um, best friend, who I sometimes write with or do stuff with, watched me on a on a chat show recently. And, you know, everyone was really lovely. But she said, I could see you were working and you'd no one to play with. And I, you might not know it if you don't really know me, but to watch that show, it was me going, here's an anecdote. I know exactly what we need for the edit. I'll throw in some jokes here, but it's it's work. And this is part of the promotion. And then there are other shows. She'll go, oh, my God, you and him just got to play. It was so silly. It was brilliant. And, and you can see the spark and the difference. And I'm definitely a person who needs someone to play with. And when I have it, I just I'm the happiest person in the world. So like when I get to hang around with other comedians, like most of the people in my life are funny. And it's my joyous thing to be around other comedians, not just to be by myself. Uh, I, I want to know about live performing and the connection between people, because I've, I've been really thinking a lot about the audience's role. So a mutual friend of ours, Steve mm -hmm. Raskopoulos, uh, was on this it's podcast. It's actually pronounced Oh, sorry. I, I apologize. I'm very culturally insensitive <laughs> of me. But um, he was talking about the idea of doing a drive-in, uh, like, movie theater stand-up. Yes, yeah. And, and the, what he didn't realize was that, like, so much of 
what you associate being honked at by a car is like your body goes into this state of like terror. So yes. Even though that is them acknowledging that you're doing a good job, there is this muscle memory of if someone is honking their car at you, that is not, you're not getting the same stimulus no. feedback oh. from an audience honking their and in anything you do online, as you said, it's not the same as being there in the room mm. with people performing. It's like talking to someone with a delay. It's the, I I would rather never talk to anyone yeah. than talk to someone <laughs> with a mild delay. Like when my mother rings me on WhatsApp, she's like, oh, but it's easier. I'm like, no, it's not. There's always a delay. But I went, oh, do, you think there's a delay? And I'm like, ah, that delay for me, that space between someone realizing and someone yeah. sp- speaking over each other with a delay is honestly, if, if I go to hell... Yeah or rather when given my lifestyle, when I go to hell, I'll, it'll just be me trying to get on a call and talk to someone with a delay. That is my idea of pure hell. And so with a car honking, the laugh, when you make someone laugh, it comes out of them at the speed of a laugh. When you make someone laugh and then they put their hand on the wheel, <laughs> You're already gone into your next sentence because you think no one laughed, and then it's like babe, 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 babe. You're like, oh, I, I don't, I, I, I'd already moved on, but I'll go back. Will I go back? Babe, okay, I'll go back. I'll go back. Oh, it's, it, it's the terror of that. Is oh, I can't even. That's that'll be where I'll end up burning and burning in hell. Burn me, I'd say. Uh, so do. You- do you think about so there are so many different you know relationships that people mm. have with audiences when they're like working on stage doing stand-up comedy so barry humphreys who's like a famous australian comedian you know dame edna everage and like to be honest not the most popular of all you know people in the last few years said some pretty transphobic things and some very old man things and it's it's been oh it's just keep reading Whoever hits 50 of late, just keep reading, would you? I'm, I'm, I have to really, I'm going to put some post-its up around my head around 50 to just make sure, Ashling, keep reading, keep talking to different types of people. And also, I think if you stop gigging at a certain stage, you have to keep getting on the live circuit and making sure you're chatting and seeing what people are talking about. So you, so you're, you know, keep up to date. It's like, a, it's like becoming a D I think being a standup and not gigging anymore and not talking to different types of people or listen, reading to different newspapers and going and seeing different audiences is like a DJ sat in their house with their friend from their twenties, listening to only the albums they did then. And you're like, well, you're not a DJ anymore. You know, um, you might love music still and be able to play. I don't know the racist wedding you love going to, but just make sure you go out there and see what other bands are playing or who's up to date or stuff. Anyways, yes. So, well, Barry Humphreys, he had this thing that he said about going out on stage. Someone asked mm-hmm. him, what's it like to walk out in front of, you know, 3,000 people? And he said, mm-hmm. the only thought that's going through my head is alone at last, right? So that's what he feels. Oh he God. feels... Um, I think what I've missed is that I think when... I can be a bit like you that sometimes when I'm on stage, particularly if I'm like doing an improv show or something like that, mm. like where like the audience is just like the wind beneath my wings. Like yeah. the fact that they keep laughing means that I can keep talking because all these yes. things are happening in my head regardless. Yeah. It would just be really good if I could say them out loud and you guys could laugh and kind of yeah. affirm them or support me through whatever it is that I'm going yeah. through. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if you could all be on board having with a breakdown, let's give them a laugh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, as long as we can monetize this, guys. I have no other skills. Something you, to address. Oh, my God. Life. I often think of that if there's an apocalypse, 
I hope they have like, you know, like a luxury item like they do on Desert Island Discs or like Survivor where they can bring a funny person with them because I'm a luxury item in the apocalypse. I'm of no great use. I can't even drive a car. Yeah, but funny is important, I think, as long as you're not... It is, but when it's like, is funny important or is the man who can butcher meat important, you know, in the the core 10 days? Okay, what you're talking about here is the Armageddon dilemma, right? Yeah, Like the premise of the Michael Bay movie Armageddon, that somehow it was easier to teach some welders to some miners to become astronauts than it was to convince to teach astronauts how to dig a hole. So no, it does make sense. Are you moving again? Is this a progressive? I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take it to the bedroom. I feel like we're getting into something (laughs) intense. I'm just going to move us, move us into the bedroom (laughs) where the napping happens. Of course, magic, no napping. Um, Yes. So talk to me, Will. Talk to me about audiences. What's what's your your my, feeling as oh, like? Well, my, no, my question to you was that, oh. like, what's your relationship with, like, a live audience? Like, when you're on stage, what are you feeling? Like, what, what is I, to them? I mean, them to me, you know, the way some people are afraid of hecklers and or some people go, oh, would you not be afraid of hecklers? I have never been scared of a live audience ever. The only thing I've ever scared of is me on stage and me losing my mind or not or me getting because of how much I think having taught myself into an idea that I'm not funny today even though I've been funny since I was a kid like the the and sometimes I like not everyone does but I'd always have a pint or two before going on stage not because I'm a problem uh but because I want to almost dull the voice that questions the very thing I've always been able to do. It's almost like feeling like a runner going, oh my God, what if today my feet don't work? And you're like, too late, blah, 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 run. Like, don't think about how one foot in front of the other, run. Just, you don't even have to think about it. But if you start, if you're like at the starting blocks and you start going, wow, toes, they're essential to my balance. Oh no, I have to run. It's just like, you can't. So why I have a pint or two is kind of dull that bit because when I'm on stage and with an audience, Oh, I love it so much. And especially if I like my material and uh, I do find if I'm like burnt out and I, I I got to a point where I was really burnt out and trying to kind of maintain doing stand up because I feel you should and some muscle. And it was actually like, again, an athlete should take a rest because I was going on kind of falling into old material. And then it's almost like, it was a mixture of that and your ego wanting to stay sharp for work. And then when the pandemic stopped, I think I felt like a little bit of a relief that no one could get better <laughs> for a while. And, and when we came back doing stand up last July and August, I found suddenly the freedom again on stage. And I think it was also because I, I was an actor, an out of work actor for a very long time and then started stand up. And I kind of started stand up when they wanted more women on TV suddenly and bridesmaids had come out. And suddenly just the very nature of my gender and being a stand up was very marketable. And so I became mar- marketable quite early in my process and career. And that put so much big girl stakes on the playful, messy work that I like to do. And I like my stand up to be playful and messy. I like small rooms packed with people, sweaty, silly, someone shouting something out um, and and to be able to talk for chunky amounts of time. And 
and mess around and feel like I'm their night out. Like I, I can host your night out and bring you to a feeling that you're on a night out and hopefully you'll forget what chair you're sitting in. And hopefully I might make you lean across and ask someone beside you who you don't know a question and just wake us all up a bit for however long I'm on stage. And I think when all the work stuff and the career stuff came in, it almost felt like, oh no, this has to be editable for TV. This has to be down to X amount of minutes. This has to appeal to people. And I think I, and I think when we came back doing stand up after the pandemic, knowing that it could get shut down because the lockdown was actually a real relief. No one's going to try and turn this into a Netflix special. No one's going to try and turn it into a money making machine. I can just be messy. And I was actually supposed to do a kind of like mini special job for money this August. And I found that as soon as it was time to start practicing my set, my whole little light that I'd been keeping this year went out. And so I just sent to my agent, I pulled out of it because I was like, I'd love to keep that light and then maybe see if I can keep it and turn it into a special. But before I can really foster that light, like let's not just make it money. And I can afford to do that. Like I'm very lucky I can afford to do that with my other show and stuff. But keeping that messy light that it's just for this and not to be turned into a marketing venture. And it's just for like, I think I definitely have, if I, if you've ever met me at like 4am in Edinburgh or drunk, I have a very much, will we go for one more adventure quality to me, which I love. Like I'll always stay out, not until the party ends, but just afterwards where the risk is it's shit or we could end up doing something or maybe there'll be an anecdote. And I'll like have another Coca-Cola to keep me awake longer. Just like, will you do a couple more shots? Yeah. Like I love that little sort of like manic fairy pixie, like let's go at the end for an adventure. And I feel like I love getting that feeling on stage where something kind of happens and we're like, wow, I remember that night. Um, and I love when you get to share that with people, whether it's another act on stage. I love doing stand up with my friends. Um, and when you can like cuss them out when you're on stage and they come out and cuss you out and you just break down the thing that everything's really structured, you know. So I love that. That's, that's I, a really long answer. That's a, no, <laughs> it's such a great answer because I bore people senseless talking about my life on this podcast, so I'm not going to do too much of it here. But um, Oh, I, no, Will. I spent um, 10 years just on and off. Like in the months that I wasn't working in Australia, I would go over and live in the States and just tour around and like play clubs basically on the road, you know? Yeah, me too, and yeah. honestly, I never had more fun in my life. Like sometimes yeah. I was having so much fun, like just being in some city, like A, someone's just paid yeah. me to go to some American city, you know, like I'm like, yeah. I'm just going to like, I've got nothing to do all week apart from like appear on Good Morning Chicago or something. So like already yeah. this is hilarious. <laughs> like everything about this yeah. is already great. I'm going to do stand up at night. None of these people know who I am and I'm good, like, you know, good enough. That yeah. I'm going to be better than what their expectation of whatever they've signed up to is. And and yes. no one's filming it, no one's reporting it, no one's... It's or at just, worst, maybe they'll have met their first Australian. Right. You know? A lot of the time, yeah. I think that was the appeal. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. <laughs> uh, Come on, Hank, it's an Australian. I, I, There was a little bit of that, but it was so amazing mm. because I love those shows so much because every night was just about those people in the room. There was no... The stakes were so low. Yeah. But also just so specific. Yeah. 
that you're you're 10 minutes or you're and it's very small you're not getting loads of time there I mean for, I'm not sure what gigs you were doing but generally you tend to sort of be doing smaller sets and and you and you can also use some of your old stuff that you enjoyed but couldn't work anymore <laughs> like you can use old stuff because it's not like they've seen it yeah. and it's just like oh great whereas you get so in your head which musicians never have to do like oh they don't want to hear the hits every time i do a show they never want to hear the hits like of course we want to hear the hits please don't play any of your new songs um whereas <laughs> with stand-up it's like i'll go see them again oh will you wait a year and a half to come and see me again would you mind but like you get to go to america and just kind of like do your old hits that you loved doing you love doing so much that's why you did it to death you know um uh, okay so I, yeah. i'm interested in like you talked about stand-up in a very practical way there mm. before you were like i'm an out-of-work actor and suddenly there was an opportunity for you know so i went mm-hmm. to stand-up but but you don't talk about stand-up now in any sort of academic way. You talked about somebody who just like absolutely loves it and sort of, you know, is it in it? So when did that change or was there a change? I, I don't, I think as soon as I got up, I was like, oh, of course. I'm just doing something I've been doing since I was a baby with, with a microphone. Mm-hmm. So like even, you know, I've been an actor for kind of, I'd say 20 years now. And that'll always be my sort of, maybe passion as a creative job because Mm -hmm. that's what I love doing. And I love coming up with characters and I love other actors giving me something and me getting to like create something that wasn't there before with someone else with stand up, It sort of sits in a different place. And this might sound so wanky, especially if someone's listening and it's like, Oh, she's just talking about being lonely and the craft. And it's a bit fucking boring. Um, but I are low. This is great. But like, not exactly like gag, gag, gag. And I, I, I have to be gag, gag, gag. I know, Will. Gags, I know, I know, I know. And isn't that the pressure? I know. I'll put in a load at the end, maybe, and you can drop yeah. them in like a, around the podcast. <laughs> we interrupt dashing serious moment for a little lull. <laughs> um, but I think I was like, I was born to to do to to do it. And I don't mean born to be successful. I mean, born to stand and tell people stories. And I look at there's um, like video footage of my granddad's ninth birth, ninth, 90th birthday. And I was about nine and I was emceeing the gig of cousins. And I swear to God, it's just me, but younger with no boobs. And my material hasn't changed that much. My energy on stage, has embarrassingly so. It's just me going, well, 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 look at old granddad over there. There he is. Uh, listen, all the cousins, don't get fruity, ladies. Stay away from him. Like, just the same thing I'm seeing. And like, I haven't really changed that, that, that part. The, the me on stage is nine-year-old Ashling. It's the same me that would stand up in class and try to make pe- the kids you know I, I think there's certain people who work towards a certain audience whereas I I treat everyone like an audience and that might be terribly annoying but if it's a waitress I'm like oh uh, 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 the lady will have if it's a if it's a man I'm with you know all the like classic dad joke. like I was born to be a father um, and it's it's just like I find like I like making people laugh wherever I go and if it's if they're all congregated together in an auditorium that's just for that's just time handy you know and um, the pressure that comes with that I suppose is when you're a public figure what I found is I find I'm quite uncomfortable maybe with I'm very comfortable with the 
public people coming up to me, strangers always have been, but more with the expectation of knowing who I am and me not knowing what me they think I am, if that makes any sense. So people going, oh, hello, Ashling. Oh, there you are. And, and that might just be a day you've come from the doctors or had a breakup or something like that. And um, and you don't feel like being that person just then, but they know you in a way you're you, it's not you and a stranger getting to know each other and finding a laugh. It's someone who has a preconceived idea from television about you and you're not sure where to match that or what to do. And I find that. I find that kind of tough um, because it's quite a loud, energetic expectation sometimes uh, because I am quite a loud, energetic person. Um, but it, it just might be the day you're in, you know. Is there also, but with this way up, you know, you deal with some pretty like heavier themes. Like, Don't tell them. I'm it's not an telling alien them. That's why I was sci-fi. being very, very... <laughs> Uh, general about <laughs> what they might be but I imagine yeah. those themes probably give you a connection with people in a different way as well I imagine there's yes. other people who come up to you with some sort of I don't know I don't, connection on a different level to they think you're going to be the funny person off QI or whatever yeah yeah definitely definitely after the show I think what's what's felt a bit different with the second series the first series was was hard to make in the sort of normal hard to make but it was a selling it afterwards that was the graft i know people loved it when they watched it but it was like quite a graft to sell and promote people like it didn't just we didn't have a million quid to budget it and do big billboard campaigns and it just sort of moved and then it was funny actually coming out in australia because it came out in australia when maybe my profile was a year and a half a bit bigger and um, and that really helped and Stan gave it a good push and also didn't say come off the back of Phoebe's show Fleabag, which I absolutely love. But when my show came out, it was just in all the comparisons of her second series. So it's hard to kind of go, oh, what is this on its own and what does it mean to people? And when it came out in Australia and France, actually, the show just I, I, it was a show about loneliness. And suddenly it came out in a place that had a lockdown, which is not anything I'd ever envisaged for it. And. Australian people were just watching sort of my show isolated as itself. And it was really nice to get feedback on just, Mm -hmm. just the show and with sort of this madly, not opportunistic context, but a really weirdly connected context about sort of loneliness and being on your own a lot and missing your family and all that stuff. Um, And, but it was still a little series one, Oh, you did a thing. And now with the second series, I can feel it's taken off more because you can feel a change. And sometimes it's from social media. Sometimes it's on the street. But I think when people would come up to me from knowing me from a variety of things or the, the what are you in again? <laughs> and you have to kind of list out a bunch of stuff and they'll, they might name one of the jobs you are the most embarrassed about. Yeah. You're like, yeah, yeah, that was a bill payer. That it's a bit like, oh, I don't know what version of me you like. So it's hard to be uh, proud in that yeah. moment. Whereas when people come up to me after the show, like I'm really proud of my second series and it was incredibly hard to make. And I sort of at times wondered if I would make it through it. And, uh, but I know why I wrote the second series and who I wrote it for. And I think I wrote the first series for myself as an actress to kind of um, sometimes show people I could act, but also sometimes just want to write a vehicle for myself a bit. And I didn't write the second series 
with that in mind, I wrote it for the people I feel would need it from the people who got in touch from the first series. So it's written for other people, not, not as a vehicle for me. And to see that actually having worked is a very satisfying feeling, but also like some of the messages that people send me or the way people and the different types of people who, you know, it's not just the gals, it's, it's men and men of different ages. And surprisingly, like when I went back to Ireland to visit my mother kind of a week and a half ago, like surprising men <laughs> is the only way to describe it. Um, not men who jump out around the corner and go, love your show. Surprise. Woo! Jesus, not in the car park at night. Please, Jerry. Um, more like, you know, you're like, oh, I would not have if we were to list people in a lineup who might be my demographic. But and that feels very special, special to me, to be honest, because I'm so proud of that piece of work. Whereas sometimes when it's like panel shows and stuff, it can feel a little bit did I really do it? Is that me? Is that, you know, or is it just, I'm just, in, it's snippets of a bits rather than a whole show of my own or something. I um, could talk to you for a very long time, but I am conscious about your time. So um, uh, I always ask people on this show if they have a particular life philosophy of any kind. It, it can relate to anything, but it is the premise of the podcast. So, yeah. so if I don't do the premise, I sort of like, you're not going to put it out. You're going to be like, oh, I'm just going to have to ferry this over to someone else's oh, no, I've, team. There's, there's been plenty I've forgotten to ask. Don't get me wrong. Like, I I, yeah. I tried my like, best. God damn it, that's a brand. I've managed to get it in. The philosophy thing won't work otherwise. One hour into the show, so. What's yours? That might trigger my brain. What's yours? I A lot of them, it changes a lot for me. I don't really know at the moment. I think I'm actually a little lost is honest if if I'm being honest mm. and I'm trying to be honest mm. with myself about that because like you know yeah like the effect that this has had on you know all of our lives and on the world and whatever mm. it's just been it's been really big and I feel like at the moment the world is in a pretty rough spot and like I yeah. feel like there's going to be a whole bunch of repercussions of that and then you've just got to kind of think about where where you sit in that, like how much of, mm. and are you living your life right? Like, I mean, yeah. that's a hard question, right? Like mm -hmm. what if like everything that I've dedicated myself to is actually complete and utter waste of everybody's fucking time? And like, what's it? Well, what's as it? someone who's been on your podcast for a long <laughs> bit, I would agree there. Um, Thank you. But, <laughs> but yeah, I know what you mean about feeling lost. I think feeling lost is where loneliness is and it can be a very, tough feeling because humans um like they say even with like healing our bodies it's not just a medication and the physio a sense of purpose is essential to humans and a sense of like i know no matter what happens where i'm headed and and how i'm headed off somewhere or the purpose i have in life is to feel joy or to change things or to create and i think maybe yours might be create and like feeling like you might be creatively drained or whatever it is I think is a, is a, is a massive thing for me. It's connection. I, I thrive on feeling connected to people. Um, and, and I'm, I think I'm searching for a sense of satisfaction. I've done enough where I'm happy with the work I've done and that would like calm me down. Um, but I, I think it is my philosophy for life would be to strive for connection and creativity in whatever you're working in. Because even if you're working in a hospital, 
It will change how your day is if you've connected with your patients or your co-workers, if you've been creative and in the fact that you've able to come up with different ways of like looking at the schedule or whatever. It's not if, if you're working in an accountancy firm that were you able to make connections that day because that will have a physiological effect on your life. And the more connections we make, I think the more we'll understand where people are coming from. And at the moment, because we're not physically connecting, it's we're just getting opinions or things to be angry about through a computer or a robot who has no connection with us. And it's um, it's like, you know, when they um, give, uh, like they put <clears throat> giant pandas in zoos, like puffy uh, um, toy pandas in zoos to have a baby panda to play with, to pretend it's its mother, because, you know, they probably killed it for a rug or whatever in the real world. Um, and that panda like hugs it, but doesn't get the same and it's sprayed, but it doesn't get the same feeling. That panda won't grow up as amazing as a panda who grew up with like a real connection with an actual other panda. And I feel like this pandemic. Um, <laughs> hey, wow. OK, OK. And she drove with her car, yes. left a little UPS hey. package. I'll pay for that. You Thank you very much. That connection coming, <laughs> coming with a gag at the end. <laughs> but that we are living in a pandemic where we're touching all of these computers and toys that are sprayed to smell like mummy and they will never give us back. And if we can, how to find real eye contact connection wherever we go and, and to, to invest in that, because it's very easy. The more you stay in a laptop to stay more in a laptop. Um, and so to reach out for connection in whatever way you can, and that that may help guide you back towards a sense of purpose when you're lost. I also had this healer I went to and uh, two things she said to me. One of them was she said, when you feel really lost. Um, and this sort of I kind of reference this a little bit at the end of my show. But if if only if you feel lost in the woods, if only you could like jump up into a helicopter and look down on yourself, you'd see that no matter what direction you walk, you will get out of the woods. But when you're stuck in them, it's really hard to say that. Because you're like, oh, there's trees. I'm out, where will I go? I'm overwhelmed. Blah, blah, blah. But like, if you could only see that no matter what direction you'll go, you'll get out of the woods. It's no, no direction is an unending pile of trees. And another thing that got said was like every day to try. And, and this isn't necessarily a gratitude list, but it's more like make a little list list of potential little angels and that might sound really like oh oh ashing's about to go into angels and tarot cards territory but it's more like making a little list of like which i had to do especially during my show of like oh today our runner made a joke and it was so funny and that was so sweet or the coffee man was quite sweet or do you know what that moment could have been edgy but someone got an email or someone liked something on my instagram who i haven't seen in a while and like literally it's 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 not necessarily things I'm grateful for a list. It's things that went right or better than they should have, even if they're only small things. And that can help. That can, I think sometimes that can help me go, oh, the UPS man just said I need a code, but he explained it to me in the way I, I understand. And he was nice and he said he will potentially come back. <laughs> they seem like two nice lads. And even the second lad was like, now make sure you do all you're asking for is the code. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Sometimes I forget information. So he's really reminded me and that'll make me really handy to re-explain to the UPS people once I talk to them on the phone that that's what that is, you know. Um, uh, okay. We were going to finish up in a minute, but um, 
I have a few standard questions that I ask everyone and, you know. Go on. Uh, what do you think happens when we die? I think we get absorbed into the people we had a big effect on, for better or worse, and that we live in them and maybe we, we already are. But, yeah, we we exist to the people who loved or connected with us. And so there'll be a bit of my dad and me or there'll be a bit of you know, me and my sister, my sister and me, like there's uh, we, what we are and who we are will be absorbed through stories and through people's brains and we'll get absorbed in that way, whether that's just other people's memories of us that help us future and exist. It, it, it does give you a visceral feeling like people are giving you hugs. If you had unlimited finances, what would you be doing mm-hmm. with your day? Unremitted. Uh, unlimited. So, like, you've got so unlimited. You've got so much money that mm. you don't have to work. You can do anything you I, want to do with your day. Oh, what, yeah. what do you do with your time? I would give money to all of the lobbyists who are um, lobbying the government for financial change, and they've been given too much money by the evil lobbyists. So, I would like try and say, right, who needs money? Because your cause is brilliant, but you don't have money. And the people who have money, gun control, the meat industry, um, Amazon, Jeff Bezos, not paying tax, all of those. The only reason governments can't make better decisions is because they're being paid. And then that money goes back into the roads. And then the roads, and when we drive on the roads, we're like, well, I suppose there's some kind of circular system here. But I would try and finance people who I truly believe are, have a really good ideas for the world and and they have and I would have more money than them to get in the way of the people who are trying to buy worse things for selfish reasons it's a good answer um uh, when- and also a new car and a driver <laughs> well I mean, you know you, 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 that's not going to be a full-time thing you still got some spare time in between to yeah. you know relax or you know do whatever it is that you want to do but that's a good answer um uh when you are at your best what does that look like mm-hmm. uh very funny very kind responsive not reactive so i can respond to situations not kind of go fucking hell um or the emails already sent before my brain or fingers knows i've done it um so more just responsive, responds to things, doesn't react. Um, and satisfied. I have a satisfied feeling when I'm at my best. Like like the farmer in, in Babe, Pig in the City, like that'll pig, that'll do. You know, that's a really nice feeling because I don't think I get that feeling too much where I'm like, oh, you know, that was good enough. So that that feeling. And in on a dance floor, near a dance floor. <laughs> Oh, well, that kind of leads naturally to the next question, which is when was the last time a piece of music or art or film or television really moved you? Well, I did love White Lotus, which I spoke about. Um, piece of music. Oh, what about, I mean, I, I'm one of those people who hears a song and then listens to it 75 million times. Let me go into my Spotify here and see what what's the last bit of music. I had um, 
I mean, I sort of, I love anything that gets you up and feeling happy. And um, this isn't exactly, you know, the thinking man song, but um, I really like Montessera by, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, uh, by Little Nas X. (laughs) And it's, or or Montero, it's called Montero Call Me By Your Name. And it's an absolute club hit. And it might not seem like the sort of more artsy answer, but I I love anything that it's got like a kind of Latino influence in it. And anything that makes you go, oh, yes, let's get up. And just kind of shoots you up into sort of like a, a joyful, like, woo, kind of place and gets you back in your body and, and needs to move. I don't tend to listen to beautiful, sad music a lot because I'm like, that's where I exist. <laughs> so I'm trying to kind of like throw myself over the wall on a trampoline into dance town. You know? Lil Anaz X is one of those people I've defined solely by me. I would not mm-hmm. be able to identify any of this music, but I've so noticed that people that I don't like seem annoyed by him. Like he seems to piss off like people I don't like. And so just via that i'm like i'm on his yeah. side yeah, i don't yeah, really know yeah, what's going yeah, on yeah, here yeah. but i'm into this he seems to be living his own truth right. and people hate that yeah. like he seems to be really like going no i like this though <laughs> but it doesn't affect you i like yeah. this oh, it affects me because it means i'm not living my yeah. best life <laughs> it you does know? feel like that okay two more questions yeah. and we're done on my desk mm-hmm. i have the closest thing that i have in my life to a you know hang in there picture of a cat you know um yeah it's it's a it, it's ask a question it says what would you hang on i'll read it i always get this wrong what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail and so the way that i interpret it so i'll just give you that first and then you can just interpret it however you want one for me it's about work i I, it's just to remind me like imagine this thing is already successful who do you want to work with what are your days like i think you relate to that it was kind of a bit like what you were talking about earlier right like if mm-hmm. this could be successful, what would I want my day to look like? But but that is yeah. not how you have to answer that question. You can answer it in whatever way you would like to answer it. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? Well, I suppose what I've realized from the last year is what we have to redefine what success doesn't mean, but what success feels like. So you could ask for a genie for that wish and get successful and become the most famous you know, action star in the world and still feel a lot, still feel lost. And if I couldn't fail, I think what I'd like the success to be was that I'd feel like I'd succeeded and I'd feel great attached to the success because in our job, you can keep chasing things. And if you said to like younger you, oh, this is what you'd be doing. They're like, cool. But if you were to tell them, oh, yeah, you'll still feel the same. It'll still feel pretty rotten at times or lonely or loss. Like you've got a loss and you'd be like, oh, no, we should focus on how we feel. So, well, you're like, yeah, and get going now in your 20s. Um, so if you knew you couldn't fail. I'd, I'd go again with the quote. What would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? Maybe. Maybe if if fail meant feel good and feel like I did my best and satisfied and was able, the fail was like, you never weren't your best self. Maybe like a world tour of stand up or maybe like a, 
where I'd bring all my family and I'd, and I'd set the product, a production company, yeah. actually, maybe a production company that I wouldn't, that I wouldn't fail or get overwhelmed by business or that, that I would bring, be able to bring in people who I thought had a great ethos for how the industry should change and how it should look and that I wouldn't fail in picking the right person, that I would be able to pick people who would be able to give me a good support structure and not pick the wrong people, that they would genuinely lift me up every day because I hadn't failed, I'd pick the right people. We would make television shows that connected to people and were the ones that people needed and we would make them kindly and ethically and morally and and employ lots of great people who should be employed and I wouldn't fail at any of those judgment of decisions. Um, and I wouldn't fail to like keep myself healthy and I wouldn't fail to enjoy the ride and maybe something like that. That sounds like a pretty good answer to me. Um, yeah. My tummy just rumbled there. Yeah. One more. And, and one, it was going, one, yeah, one that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> it felt like you didn't have an answer. <laughs> and then you really warmed up into an answer is what happened. Yeah. There. Oh, that's always me. I'll never, they'll never be like Ashling had nothing to say. They will say like Ashing talked shite, yeah. but they'll never be like, she really just hanging with a silence. <laughs> okay. Final, final question. Over time machine, I can take you to any period in the future, any period in the past. Um, you can visit your own self. You can change something, but you don't have to. You completely ignore yourself and just go and visit some era or time that you've always been fascinated by. I don't mind, but would you take mm. a trip in a time machine somewhere? I mean, if a comedian invented it, probably not, but um, it <laughs> no, was no, no, backed no, by I, science and FDA approved. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't invent it. I think I would. I think I go and see psychics a lot. Mm -hmm. Um and I'm always like, I do, it's not a panic about the future because I don't get that anxiety about what's going to happen. I think it's more about, have I set off on the right path? Or like if when I don't trust my gut instinct or know what to do. So I think I'd almost, if I had a time machine and I could only use it once, I think I'd go back to me in my twenties and soothe me a lot more and I think by now I could work out the lessons that were worth doing and the lessons that weren't worth learning because they caused more damage in the learning than they than they reaped in terms of stuff. So I think I go back to me in my 20s and be a friend and decide there and then to 20 questions me what to tell her and and to soothe her more, I think. Thank you for doing this today. And also see the pyramids, but in a safe way. You know? <laughs> hey, um, thank you. <laughs> thank you for doing the show. I really appreciate it. This oh, thank you really so fun. much, Will. I, um, what a joy. And this way up, by the way, to all my listeners all over the world, wherever you may be listening to this, I'm sure there is a way that you can watch that show. So check out where it is available in your own countries as well. But it is on Stan in Australia. I know that to be In Australia. Um, thank you, mate. Oh, thank you. I feel like we've chased each other around the world trying to become friends. And now finally we will. <laughs> yeah, right? No, I mean, that's, basi yeah. that's basically just why I keep doing the podcast, to be honest. So. Yeah, but my friend. Sorry, I mean, we'll call it philosophy. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Okay. All well, my love. Bye.